When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Perthians, Medoes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Our Gospel reading is from John chapter 20. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the houses where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. O Holy Spirit, Creator Spirit, breath of life, would you now meet us in this time as we consider these words from the scriptures? Would you envelop us? Would you enliven us? Would you enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ? Would you renew our will and draw us toward you that we may walk in your ways to the blessing of our lives and to the glory of our God? We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Why did Jesus come to die? It's a question that probably some obvious answers are springing to mind, and there are probably there are several, you know, quote-unquote right answers to this question. Um, you might think, you know, if you're, if you're going to ask this question, why did Jesus come to die? Well, he came to save us from our sins. Definitely. Absolutely true. Why did Jesus come to die? Well, God so loved the world that he sent his only son, right, to come and to live and to die and to rise for us and for our salvation. Of course. Yes. Yes, of course. There are many ways that we can answer the question correctly. There's a one profound answer that I want us to consider today uh, as we consider this question, why did Jesus come to die from this angle of Pentecost? Because in a very real sense, we could answer the question, Jesus came to die so that we could have the Spirit. Jesus came to die so that God could send the Spirit. You see, there's this long-awaited hope if you read through the Scriptures, beginning with the creation of the world where we're first introduced to this Spirit who's, you know, in the beginning, hovering, brooding like a mother hen over the deep. And out of this activity of this Creator Spirit, God speaks forth into existence the heavens and the earth and all the creatures and all the things. And then as the story unfolds, we, we get to know the Spirit a little bit more here and there as we see at various times God giving the Spirit to prophets so that they could prophesy. Or God would give the Spirit to priests so that they could intercede. Or God would give the Spirit to kings so that they could rule or to judges or others, the, the Spirit would be portioned out on particular individuals at particular times and places for a very particular work that was theirs to do. And when we get to the book of Numbers, there's this scene from, from Israel's wilderness days where they're wandering through the wilderness, they're sojourning there, and um, Moses, with some, getting some good advice from his father-in-law, calls other people and sets apart 70 other elders to help shoulder the work of leading the people. And in that moment, this is in Numbers chapter 11, God gives the Spirit to these 70. And all of a sudden, this work that was really on, on Moses alone was now spread over a whole group of leaders. Another episode that's worthy of mention and celebration today is we've just received more leaders to help shoulder the work of leading this congregation. But there was this moment in that scene where Moses, he's now, there are now 70 other people who have the Spirit, and somebody goes to Moses like, hey, you know, aren't you jealous? It used to be, you used to be unique, you know, it used to be just you with the Spirit. Aren't you upset? Don't you feel kind of like you got, you know, the, the short end of the stick? And Moses' answer is profound. He says, jealous, are you kidding me? If only all God's people could have the Spirit. If only all of God's people could be anointed in such a way. And from that moment, this hope grows as, the, as, there's, as 
people start looking toward the future and anticipating a day when that would be the case. Because you see, as God's people, if you follow the story, they wander through the wilderness and they're about to go into the land and that God gives them the law. And he says, when you live in the land, order your life in this way that it may go well with you. And he gives them the law to shape the way that they would do life together. But even as they're on the other side of the river looking into the land, Moses, who doesn't get to go with them, he tells them at that point, I'm giving you the law, but you're not going to be able to keep it because you lack what you really need. Now, at that time, the mark of God's people was circumcision. And Moses makes a metaphor out of this. And he says, because what you really need is a circumcision of the heart that you don't have yet. And so I'm going to give you this law. You're going to go into this land and follow the law so that it may go well with you, but you won't. And of course, the story as it unfolds is a story of their failure to do that, right? They're given this law, choose life, not death, that it may go well with you. And the people choose death. They walk according to the light of their own eyes as faithless and not believing. And they end up exiled. But when they're out of the land and they start thinking about this future day because God did make his promise, this day of the Lord emerges as this future moment that the prophets would speak about over and over and over again, where God's people, having failed to do what God called them to do in the place God gave them, have now been scattered to the ends of the earth. A hope began to grow about a future day, the day of the Lord. What would characterize that day? How would you know that day when it came? Well, in the passage we just read from Acts chapter 2, we see Peter quoting the prophet Joel, one of several of the prophets who would speak in great detail about this day of the Lord. And what the prophet Joel himself said was, in that day, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. All the people will become prophets in that day. You see, the sign of God's great deliverance, of God's salvation, of the day that God promised, the sign that would mark that future that God promised would be the Spirit. Not portioned out on individuals measure by measure for very specific things, but lavishly poured out on all the people that all the sons and all the daughters would prophesy. That was the hope. That was the hope. And there was this firm belief that in the future, when God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, in that day, here's how it would go. God would pour out his spirit and everything would be made right. Because that would be the moment when new creation would overtake the old. And this old creation that is weary and weeping, that has gone off the rails, this old creation that has followed the story of human selfishness and greed, of all of the ways that human beings have lived away from God and against one another, of all the ways that we have broken our own lives and our societies and we've lived unjustly and we've lived in exploitative ways or we've lived in, in selfish ways or we've lived in, in dishonest ways, all of the things things about the world that humans have made over all of the years, that God would make all those broken things whole again. 
that God would restore his world to his original vision of shalom, where everything fits, where everything's whole, everything's at peace, the world is just, life thrives, love abounds. You see, that's the vision we get of God's original design and intention for his world and for his people is that we would live in love and flourishing with God and one another. But we know the story. We've lived the story. We know that's not the world we inhabit. It's not the world we've received. It's not the world we've left for others to receive. We are complicit in its brokenness and the brokenness of this world is unavoidable. But there was this hope in Israel that God would make all things new, that the future day of God's promise would come, and the, the indicator that that day was here would be the Spirit. Well, you see, there was this other thing that had to happen, though, before that day could come, and that is that this remnant from within the people that remained faithful and obedient to follow God's ways, this one, this one that would be the the suffering servant, so to speak, by whose stripes the people would be healed, this one would need to fulfill all faithfulness and be true to God. This remnant of the people would need to hold on so that through their faithfulness, God would bless the whole group. And what we find in Jesus is that that remnant, by the time he came, had really just kind of boiled down to one. He came himself to take upon himself the work of faithfulness, to embody in his own life the faithfulness of God's people, to in his own human life choose life, not death, to do what the people failed to do. And in so doing, becoming the one through whom the whole would be restored. And so in Jesus' life, as he came to be the Messiah of Israel, as he came with the special anointing of God to be prophet, priest, and king for us, he lived in his own life full faithfulness and goodness in the world. And yet he died at the hands of lawless people. He died wrongly convicted, executed by Rome. He died as a criminal, though he was innocent. And yet God was faithful to raise him from the dead. And this is the story that we preach. This is the story we celebrate and tell. This is the story of Christ that we, the church, around the world, gather to rehearse, to remind ourselves of, and to proclaim to the world. This is the story of Jesus, that God did so love the world that he sent his son to come join us in it. And Jesus, in his perfect faithfulness, lived the life of loving God and loving neighbor, a life not marked by greed, a life not marked by selfishness, a life that did not use other people for his own gain, but instead lived sacrificial love and uncompromised worship to his God all the days of his life. He died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he took his seat at the right hand of the Father and he received the gift from the Father of this Holy Spirit. And in that moment, Jesus now has achieved this opportunity to give the gift, the gift the people needed back then, 
The gift that would bring about that circumcision of heart, so to speak, that the people lacked. The gift that would bring about the heart of flesh and not the heart of stone that would allow the people to come alive with the life and love of God. The very thing that they lacked. And so he pours out his spirit on his people. And there's this crazy scene that Abigail just read for us where all these people from all these places, they're gathered in Jerusalem because it's feast time. Pentecost was already a feast. It was one of the three big Jewish feasts at the time, the Feast of Weeks. It's a harvest feast. And so the people, the pilgrims, had all come to the city from all over. And they're there in Jerusalem. Lots of different languages represented. And they're all there. And in this moment when the Spirit descends upon the people, God enables them to tell the story of Jesus in a way that can be heard by all the people in all the languages. If you go back in your Bible to Genesis, the early days, there's the story about the Tower of Babel, where the people being kind of into themselves and their own human projects start building a tower, right? And they're trying to basically build that stairway to heaven and God thwarts their efforts and he confuses them by making them all speak different languages so they can no longer understand each other. They can no longer collaborate in this effort to try to become like God and they're scattered. And the division of languages is, it's a judgment on them and it's a scattering thing. And that scene sets the stage for what will begin the story of Abraham and the people of Israel, where out of that scattered mess, God's gonna choose one person, Abraham. And through this one person, he's gonna make a family. And that family is going to become a nation. That nation is going to become Israel. Out of that nation, Israel, all the nations will be blessed. And what we find is that it will actually become one Israelite, Jesus, who will be the means by which God will bless all the nations of the earth. Pentecost is a reversal of the Babel scattering. It's this in-gathering where all of a sudden these different languages and all these scattered peoples who have been scattered to the ends of the earth, they're no longer divided. Their language is no longer a barrier and they're now brought together as one in the spirit. And God provides what they need to be made one, to be made whole. And from there forward, what will happen is that this community of followers of Jesus who have the spirit, they're gonna tell the story. And they're going to proclaim through deeds of love and mercy and healing and through words of proclamation, they're going to share the story and the love of Jesus with people to the ends of the earth. And we can watch the blessing flow from this Pentecost moment through the church, and it's still happening today. We are here because of this moment. We're here because of Jesus. We're here because of the Spirit. And our oneness, our unity, is because of the Spirit. You see, this was another remarkable thing because the Jewish people who were God's special family, God's special nation, God's special people, their job was to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. That was the whole vision, right? It would be through this one family that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Now in this Pentecost moment, what we find is as the Spirit begins to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, what we're going to find is that the Spirit is going to now start appearing 
and happening upon people outside of Judaism. Not because they've come into the community of Judaism through following the law, but simply because they've come into contact with the Spirit of God. And what you now have is Jewish people and non-Jewish people together being brought together in the one Spirit. Even though they're still different, they're now one. And that begins to ripple out into the world, and it's confusing to the apostles. It's confusing to the early church. They do life totally differently. You got people who would rather die than eat pork, and you got people over here who are eating bacon for breakfast, and God brings them together, and they're saying, you are now one family, and neither of you has to change for that to be true. This is not assimilation into some sort of melting pot oneness. This is now the great community of all the peoples of the earth joined together in the spirit. And this is the spirit of new creation. But wait a minute. You said that the hope was that when the spirit came, that all the sad things would come untrue. That all the broken things would be made whole. This is another perplexing piece of the mystery that we find. Because if you have done any amount of life at all in this world, you know that the sad things are still true. This world is not what it ought to be. We are not what we ought to be. And we run in to the jagged edges of the brokenness of this world all the time. Whether it's the diagnosis that came that you we're really afraid of, whether it's the frustration in your work, the breakdown in a relationship that's left you heartbroken, the loss of a loved one that leaves a hole that really can't be filled by anything or anyone else, whether it's an encounter with the realities of injustice, hate in our world, violence. Our world is not what it ought to be. We know that there is still a deep ache and longing for all the sad things to come untrue. And what happened in this moment of Pentecost is that chapter two of the story, the new creation chapter, went ahead and got started before chapter one was over. And that was one of the big plot twists. You see, everyone sort of imagined that old creation would, would, would end and run its course and then new creation would begin, sort of the way chapter one ends, you turn the page and now chapter two starts. But the intrusion of Jesus into our broken world as God in person in our world and the eruption of his spirit into our world, it is actually the invasion of new creation into the midst of the old. And the new has begun even as the old remains. Now there will come a day when this chapter one comes to its end, when Christ will come again and make all things new. But chapter two has already started. The spirit of new creation is here. The spirit of forevermore is here. God is here. And as we think about what it means to be people of the spirit, 
I want us to think about what it means to be those who inhabit new creation in the midst of the old. You are, if you are in Christ and you have received the Spirit, you are as raised now spiritually as you will ever be. You will live with God forever, and forever has already started. Now your body, my body, will fail. And there will come a time where our bodies being still united to Christ will rest in their graves and await the resurrection. But you, you are raised now to live eternity now, to live in a different world even while you're living in the same old broken world. It's a game changer. And if we let that land, if we let it land that actually God raises the dead, actually God is doing what he says he's going to do, actually God is making all things new, and the whole project comes through this means of love. It's not about winning. Your neighbor's not your competitor. Your job isn't to crush it or kill it in life. Your job isn't to be a winner, not a loser. Your job is to love God and neighbor and to bless the world. You're a home of the Holy Spirit. You're an instrument of the Holy Spirit. You're a delighted, beloved child of God. And you carry in your body and soul the life force that changes everything, the one who made the heavens and the earth. You're held fast by that whirlwind of God's breath and power, and you're made alive by him. Let that change everything. Let that change everything. And when it does, Two things, I think, happen. We live a gift life. It's an economy of gift. Everything you have is given by God. The person you're sitting next to is a gift given to you by God. The experiences you have in your day, these are given to you as gifts and you to them as a gift. And so you become alive with the Spirit of God, the one who's given freely of himself, and you now become a recipient and an instrument of gift. Everyone belongs to you. You belong to everyone. We belong to one another, and our job is to love. If you let that land if you just soak in that for a while, it will change you, it will change the way you do life. It will change the way you live with your neighbors. It will change the way you spend your money. It will change the way you fill up or protect time on your schedule. It will change you. Let it. This is the good stuff. And the second thing, it's not just that we live a gift life. You live a life in presence. God is here. God is with you. God is nearer than you think. Be present to God who is present to you. And allow the presence of God to ground you in such a way that you may now be present to those in your life God has given you to love. A non-anxious presence in your life or in your neighbor's life is an incredibly powerful thing. 
you are known and loved and held and enlivened by the one who's making all things new. You don't have to be anxious or afraid. Doesn't matter what people think of you. It doesn't matter how you're presenting. It doesn't matter if you have something in your teeth. It's like you can show up. You're held and loved by the one who raises the dead. Go and love. Be not afraid. See, this is the good news of Pentecost for us, is that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to unite all things in him. He's given us his spirit. It's the spirit of new creation. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that holds you fast to him, that binds us together as one, and that will carry us home in the end. May God give us grace to live every day of our lives in the power presence and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God, Father, Son, and Spirit, we need you. Apart from you, we are ashes and dust. But in your presence and by your life-giving power, we are raised. God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, remake us, and renew us. Lead us in the ways of wisdom and love. Attend to us in all of our needs. Bind up our wounds. Quicken our minds and our hearts and our footsteps that we may follow Jesus in the paths in which he leads us all the way until we are home with you forevermore. God, remake us in the hope and light and love of Christ, we pray and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.